0: last few people are joining and stuff why don't we just uh go around so people i can see uh george uh hogan where are you applying
1: where am i applying well i'm on 2 so i'm not applying this year uh, i'm applying next year uh, my girlfriend is a, is a run through pete's trainee in london so i need to get a london or south uh somewhere in the southeast region or she'll be very unhappy so um, yeah awesome.
0: It's always the worst, isn't it, when you've got someone who's like uh, just one year ahead of you, or like applying ST1. So then, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So she's it's she's locked in. So I,
0: it's now all on me. Um, <laughs> they dictate your life. <laughs> um, uh, Lizzie, what were you? Where are you playing? I think you're muted. Sorry, so. I
1: just unmute myself. Um, I'm
0: a similar situation to George. So my partner's just got um an anaesthetics core job in south yorkshire we're currently in west yorkshire so hopefully somewhere in yorkshire at least <laughs> yeah otherwise there'll be uh, there'll be issues mm-hmm. um just going down Stavros.
1: hello can you hear me yeah i can hear
0: you Stabros. yeah hi i am um, uh, i am t3 I'll, I'll be applying for london so it'll be a tough one london yeah So actually interesting so last year and it's caused a lot of raw because me and Nick are obviously in London. So we hear a lot from the consultants. They uh, have cut or, uh, or definitely did cut the London numbers um, because they're trying to make cardiology less London centric. Um, so there, were, there are far more numbers outside of London, uh, which is great for you, Lizzie. But yeah, Stavros and George makes things slightly more difficult if you're, if you're aiming for London just, more, just a bit more competitive. Mm. Um, and I think that's also kind of tying in with the uh, changes to the curriculum in terms of uh, mandating GIM, which is uh, slightly unfortunate, to say the least. Um, so I think uh, most people have... Uh, Nick's going to
1: join in a few minutes.
0: Um I think most people have hopefully joined now and had a chance to grab some water and take a break. So again, we're gonna keep this really open. Um, Everyone hopefully should be able to unmute themselves. So uh, we'll just go, I'm gonna go through basically a few things to do with cardiology, but then after it's actually the most of this should be a Q and A and the chance for you to talk about and ask questions about cardiology specifically. Uh, So let me go through these slides. I'll just put on share mode. So hopefully everyone here is applying for cardiology and the fact that you are is fantastic. It is one of the most competitive specialties. um, And I think that's because it obviously uh, attracts a certain type of person. And also it is a nice cross between medicine and a procedural specialty. Uh, And previously it was one of the specialties where you weren't mandated to do GIM. And I think moving forward, even though we're still mandated to do GIM, um, you'll find that a lot of job plans I imagine will still probably still still stay very cardiology focused. So you might not have to do GIM uh, long term if you don't want to, which makes it a very attractive specialty. Um, so what are the aims of today? So as I mentioned, this is your time. So your chance to ask any questions you've got at all um, and go through go through queries you've got about cardiology, the application process. I particularly am going to go through just very quickly the previous data what can be done now, and then what things need you think about starting to prepare for your interview? Uh, and I said open session, so I can't see the chat, so you might have to unmute yourself if you've got particular uh, questions, but we'll have a lot of Q&A time at the end. So numbers of applicants. So I think importantly, this is taken from the same website. It shows you how the applicants have changed over the years. So you can see that cardiology generally offers about 100 to 120 posts per year. The important thing to note is that unlike other specialties, cardiology has one of the highest proportion of unique applicants. So all of these, well, the, a lot of these 500 applicants are all applying for cardiology only. So what that means is when they if they don't get the job, of which 400 won't, they'll go into the, follow, the, the pool next year. Whereas for other specialties, for example, endocrine, the number of unique applicants for endocrine is somewhere in a re, region of 30%. So people are applying for endo and other specialties. So if they don't get a job in endo, they may decide to take up a job elsewhere, which is less so for cardiology. What that means for you guys is that when people come to interview, I imagine well, what we see is the vast majority of people have got very strong CVs that are tailored towards um, cardiology and the things that make a good cardiologist. So I think the things to be aware of is that it is a very competitive specialty. A lot of people are applying for just cardiology and they've probably known this for a, uh, a few years and started to tailor up their application and the uh, and for that reason actually the caliber of candidates you get for cardiology having done these courses now for three four years is generally seems to be uh, seems to be higher than that in other specialties so great that you're here and I imagine you are probably uh, very motivated and you'll do very well but it's just important to be aware of who you're you're up against. I'm sure this is nothing new for most of you, but do check this out. So this is the shortlist data. So this is a 2022 data. So obviously you need to, when you're thinking about the scores here, you need to think about this in relation to the previous scoring system. Um, And you can see that actually of the 412 people who applied 376 got shortlisted. So 90% 90% of people get an interview, and that's because they are virtual now. So rather than having to traipse down to London for your interviews, uh, you can, it's a, a virtual interview, which we obviously cover more on our course, but importantly what that means is the shortlisting score is less of a discriminator to whether you get an interview or not. Most of you will get interviewed, but it's important to work out where you would have placed uh, if you'd been in last year's application. So it gives you an idea of where you are on this bell curve. Um, and what I've done in the next slide MRCP is back. So obviously this means that this year's data will be very different. This is the 2020 data and the last three years, the application number, the shortlist scores have all been slightly different. So it's not easy to compare like for like. So you can see the previous one, 2022, was out of 54 and this is out of 72 for 2020, which is the last normal year. And you can see obviously it looks very different because people can score a lot more. But what I've done here is just try to work out the average shortlist score percentages. Um, And this you can use to try and work out where you are this year. So looking at the total number of points available this year and working working out what your percentage is, you can see where your shortlist score runs. Obviously to note here, that the y-axis is not 0 to 100, it's between 46 and 62. If you did plot cardiology versus other specialties, every year cardiology is one of the highest uh, shortlist score specialties. And I think that just goes back to what we said at the start, that it's a very competitive specialty, and the people that apply have generally done done a lot of things to prepare themselves for the application. So you're very, very good candidates, and that's fantastic. Um, but unfortunately, you are also competing against other very good candidates. Sorry, Alright, all right. just to be clear, this is the average score of people on the shortlist, not the score that you need to have to make the shortlist. Exactly, that, yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, I've just gone through every year's shortlist score, um, looked at the mean score, plotted that as a percentage, um, and, yeah, it's not the score needed for an interview. And probably previously, prior to 2020, when it was non, non-national, there was a different shortlist score needing uh, that you needed to get an interview in each deanery, because each deanery ran their own um, interviews, which you'll see here. So in 2020, where each deanery was... Uh, Interviewing locally, you can see here that how many people actually managed to get to uh, interview at their preferred deanery. So London and South East was very competitive. And actually, uh, Lizzie, Yorkshire and Humber was also very uh, competitive. It's only 57 percent of people who applied to Yorkshire and Humber managed to get an interview there. So this is useful uh, data just to think about when you're ranking your jobs later on, where is most competitive and where people are hoping to apply to. This does obviously change year to year so focus so we're going to talk about we talk about the generic stuff about how to improve your application score I'll talk about a few cardiology specific things and really I'm going to talk about what to do now before the interview because the interview might seem like a long way away um it's in march but that interview is once you once you get the other side of christmas you realize that's actually rather close and what you want to be doing from february to march is really just honing your interview technique because after, after mark, uh, the actual interviews count for 80% of your overall score, which obviously is a huge discriminator in terms of where whether you get a job and where you get a job. And there are certain things in February that if you haven't done, it probably is too late to do um, for your commitment to specialty, and that's obviously a big part of uh, cardiology. So we're going to go through a few things that I think are things that everyone here can do between now and January, Feb time, so then in Feb time, you're completely ready for the interviews. the interview preparation side of things. So as I said, work smart. There are certain things you can do for your shortlist score, certain things you can do for your interview alone, and certain things that count for both. Um, So you've got six weeks now to improve your shortlist score, so if you can do things that count for more than one thing then I think it's worthwhile. So things like degrees, merits, distinctions, non-cardiology related projects, Fantastic for your shortlist score, but not things that you're necessarily going to talk too much on about it, about an interview. In terms of things that you need to do to get ready for your interview, um, that's things like getting your logbook ready, thinking about getting involved in some, re- uh, some research, actually teaching is now part of the shortlist score, uh, and service improvement, that's, uh, that's really good stuff to talk about at interview, but assuming you've already got your Quip scores, it's not going to be much more, uh, I'm assuming that everyone here will be scoring max on their QIP stuff because most cardiology applicants do. Uh, So any extra service improvement stuff is more about talking about cardiology-specific service improvements that you can bring up at interview, which actually people do receive uh, very well. Um, And then finally, things like courses and presentations. If you can get anything done in the next six weeks, these are A, things that you can do talk about at interview, and some things like, you know, Teaching courses uh, and other courses are things that can contribute towards both uh, con- contribute towards commitment to specialty. Uh, this is slightly old because courses previously did score some points on the uh, on the shortlist score as well. So I'm going to just show you uh, a few cringe videos. So this is a set of videos of people of me having done similar-ish things uh, and talking about it at the interview stage. So this is, the question is, tell me how you've readied, readied yourself clinically to be a cardiology registrar, a classic uh, portfolio station question. And this is the first fairly standard um, IMT. Hopefully you can hear this. Yeah. So to prepare myself to become a cardiology registrar, I've done n- numerous cardiology
1: jobs, both as an F1 and as an IMT and it's given me good experience in managing cardiology in patients. I've used that experience to do lots of cardiology reading and teaching Um, and I teach primarily F1s uh, whilst I've been an IMT and this is largely to do with cardiology. Also this year I've worked as a medical registrar and it's given me invaluable experience leading a take, dealing with pressure and managing a myriad of acutely unwell patients at the same time. Since then, I've also organised a a taste in cardiology, but I spent time shadowing the catheter lab, the echocardial department, and again, getting further experience in, in managing cardiology and patients on the wards.
0: So, um, let's just pick someone out at random.
1: Um, Emma, what do you think of that?
2: Uh, I thought it had a lot of the good points in it. So, you know, a lot of the key things that you'd need to highlight. Uh, Maybe things specific to cardiology were missing, such as echo and things maybe um, a bit more. But, I mean, it got the medical reg spit in there, which I thought was good, Um, and teaching.
0: Yeah, so the average guy, most cardiology candidates would have done something not too dissimilar to this. They've done med regging, they've, uh, you know, Organized, this guy's gone out of his way he's organized a cardiology taste a week he says he's shadowed the cath the, cath, the labs he's uh done some done some echo uh and he's got cardiology outpatient uh some cardiology outpatient experiencing managed cardiology in patients yeah fine like not not awful um but the difference is between this guy and the hopefully what you see in the next guy this guy's just worked slightly slightly smarter so if you listen to this uh, recording. So I've done cardiology jobs, both as an F1 and an IMT,
1: and this gave me invaluable experience managing a number of different cardiology issues, ranging from ischemia to uh, to electrophysiology and inherited cardiac conditions. I've also organised ec- a taste a week where I spent time specifically down in the Eckerd Cardiography Department and started doing my own v-scans and now, hopefully, i plan planning to sign up for BSEA presentation in the near future. This year, I've also been working as a medical registrar, and this given me an invaluable experience leading a team and managing many acutely unwell patients. And specifically, I've used the time to focus on how we manage cardiology patients, and i presented a series of cardiology places at our local ground round. I've also taken the time on my zero days and during my tasting week to attend a variety of different cardiology outpatient clinics. And I hope that all of this has given me a good, a good wide range of experience related really to cardiology that's um,
0: Great, so this is someone who's hopefully a bit better. Um, let's hear from Daniel, Daniel Ng. What do you think of this guy?
2: Huh? So
1: I mean, it doesn't actually sound like he's necessarily done a lot different from the first guy. He's just structured his answer to be a bit more specific to cardiology.
0: Yeah, and I he's, so he's done one or two things. So I think the previous one said he'd had organised a taste a week uh, and shadowed the echo department. Whereas this person said, that actually, he's carried out echo during his taste a week. He's working with BSC accreditation in the... He's worked as a medical SVR, but all of you will have worked as a medical registrar now. So actually, what's the differentiating factor? So this person's actually gone through his, you know, a few medical takes and found some cardiology patients, which were interesting, and present them locally as a case series to their, you know, the, the acute medical consultants, which is all very achievable in the next three months. Um, he'd also mention more particularly his outpatient cardiology experience um, and talked about his taste week. And then we're going to talk about the final guy. So again, this is the same kind of guide. They haven't really, they're not, I purposely made it so that they haven't done anything hugely different, but they've just structured what they've done in a very different way. So listen to this. So I think there are
1: three main areas that I've tried to prepare myself clinically to be a cardiology registrar. The first is managing inpatients and acute issues. The second is outpatient experience. And the third is procedural skills. So in regards to inpatient experience, I've organised my training so that I've had two cardiology jobs both as a, in my foundation training and as an imt and in these jobs i organized a teaching program where registrars would come and teach us on a number of different cardiology issues and this really helped us manage our patients and since then i've used that as a skeleton for a teaching program which i've organized which we where we as imts treat other f1s uh, and it's been really well received I've also organised a taste a week, and in this taste week, I not only shadowed the cardiology registrar, but I actually acted up as the cardiology registrar and under supervision. Obviously, I am um, I managed acutely ischemic patients, acute E. P. issues, as well as managing chronic issues on the ward such as heart failure patients. This year, obviously, I've acted up as medreg, um, and I've tried to make the most of this, and I've collected a case series of cardiology patients and how we deal with them, how we can really improve this. And these are learning points which, which we've presented both locally and regionally. I've also tried to give myself good exposure to outpatient clinics, and I've got lot, exposure to a wide variety of clinics ranging from rapid access chest pain clinic to EP clinics, to inherited cardiac condition clinics, and recently completed an audit in rapid access chest pain clinic. Where the results of which were presented locally and really helped streamline and improve our service. Finally, with regards to procedural skills, I've made sure I've signed up all of my core procedural skills that I need, and then I focused on extra skills and extra skills that might might be required for cardiology. So I'm independent in central lines and now have more time to focus on cardiology-specific skills. So I've done my cardiac CT level one course. I've done an echo course and I can do a basic transcript echo and start a logbook with 20, um, with over 20 cases logged, and my BSc exam is booked for later on this year. And finally, I've also got some basic experience in the CAT lab, a second operator and um, helping with both basic pacing and basic angiography. So hopefully this has given me a good wide range of experience
0: ready clinically from a cardiology registrar. Um great. So let's ask um Noreen. What do you think of that? What was it, Noreen? Noreena, sorry. Hello? Hi Noreena.
2: Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear
2: you. Yeah, I think uh he the structure was very different than the first two guys. He yeah. started off by making three different headings, uh, and then further elaborated, especially the how he mentioned courses in the procedure skills that was a new point that I can because I've done courses as well and I'm working on the procedure skills as well but I did not know that when I'm presenting myself I can use both together in a similar heading that how I started off by doing courses and now I'm doing more hands-on so the progression from in each heading was very good I really liked it and the second thing I picked up was the exposure to the outpatient that didn't end just there he mentioned that a variety of the clinics he's done, EP, heart failure, pacemaker and chest chest pain clinics. And then gave me a point that I've done the first three ones, I can do some chest pain clinics as well. So it was a very good presentation, I really liked it. Yeah,
0: well, thank you. Um, Yeah, what a great guy. Um, No, I I think, and that's it, I think my point I want to make is that actually, this is a clear five out of five answer Mm. to clinically ready themselves. But the first two people wouldn't have been able to give this answer because they haven't done these particular things to this, to this guy here. And this guy has done things that are very achievable over the next three months. So the med thing, he's worked for a medical registrar, and you will have to mention that, but he's actually gone further. He's done a case series like the second person had, but actually he's also presented this locally and regionally. Fab. Tick, tick, tick. He's worked in outpatient clinic, but he's also done outpatient audit in a cardiology-specific setting, so rapid access chest pain clinic. An easy way to get an audit done, you can audit the referrals coming to rapid access chest pain clinic and see if they're appropriate or not and see if that can be improved. People would love that because everyone hates the DROS referrals coming to rapid access chest pain clinic, and everyone loves the SHO that will go through the referrals and say why things are being done poorly and what we can do to improve the process. As an example, there are obviously lots of things that one can do in terms of orders. Um, procedurally, this guy had signed up all of his core procedures, which are, you have to do anyways, he may as well get done. And he'd done his extra procedures, uh, the non-essential ones that you need for an IMT, uh, that you don't necessarily need to, to do to complete IMT, such as central line access, which you would, will need as a cardiologist. So it shows that this person's preparing themselves. And more than that, they started, booking onto a few online courses, so the Echo, uh, ECHO online course, the CT level one course, and these are things that you can do between now and now in February. So in February, the main thing you're gonna be thinking about is how to structure the answers and what you have done, which obviously we can talk about more uh, in the course in February, but for now, you just need to have the actual material there to talk about. Um, finally, I just talk about the procedural skills. It's a big part of cardiology whether you want to be proceduralist or not. Uh, And, you know, this person has talked about not only generating logbook, but he's given key numbers. So he's up, I've done a log, I've started building a logbook, working towards BSE accreditation. And the previous person had said, I'm working towards it. This person had actually booked his written exam, which anyone can do at any time. Uh, And he'd also documented how many numbers, he's got 20 logbooked echoes. And they can be awful echoes, but they're logbooked, Um, And that's the important thing. and he had not only gone to the cath labs, like the second guy, but he'd actually built up a logbook of the cath lab procedures that he'd watched. And to be a second or third operator, you just have to be third operators in the room, second operators just being essentially scrub nurse and helping just pass a few things back and forth. And I think that's very, very achievable for IMT3s uh, and actually IMT2s. Uh, so, And if you go in your zero days, it's very, very achievable and they will be every cath lab uh, will be happy to have you. So these are all things that from a cardiology specific point of view, you can do between now and February to really optimize what you can talk about interview and also will give you more of a grounding for actually for the rest of the stations, for the clinical scenarios, because you will know a bit more about what happens in the cath lab. You know about what an echo entails and echo pictures do come into you. So there are things that you can prepare now so that February becomes much easier for you. So I've gone through a few of these. Um, so the course that you can do, there's an online ESC ECHO course. There's also a Vienna um, ECHO diploma you can get. Um, I haven't looked up whether that would count as a diploma in terms of one of the points on the application score, but there is a Vienna um, online diploma, one can get an ECHO. There's online cardiac CT level one, um, which again is run by the BSCI and open to uh the SCMR introductory course to CMR, um, the cardiac MRI. This is just some courses that I've researched uh, that I think are available and worthwhile doing um, and are achievable in the next three months. You don't have to do them all, Uh, you don't have to do any of them, but I think at least one of them would be, one of these or another one would be worthwhile to show your commitment to specialty and also get some basic knowledge that is useful for those, crucially important. Um. Baric as well, I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but um, especially for the IM2s, because we all have to do an ICU rotation,
2: um, so I don't know how it's thought of an interview, but I've, um, you can do your FUSIC um, intensive care bedside echo during ICU rotation,
0: and there'll be lots of people to supervise you um, and get signed off, and you have to do 50 cases for that, um, so that's also an option for, um, for supervised and unsupervised
2: echoes. I think there'll be way many more people in ICU to supervise you. So it's a very good opportunity. I kind of did few and then regretted that I could do more. So this is a very good opportunity in that time. In cardiology, everybody's busy. You have to like actually grab the the ICU is a very good point time to start from doing the bedside echoes.
0: I think both fantastic points. Um, I I actually always encourage all of my F1s and SHOs uh, when they're doing cardiology, anyone can pick up a v-scan. I, d- I did the FEEL course. I think it's similar, not too dissimilar to the FUSIC uh, course. You just need someone, a registrar, to sign off your echoes um, or scans that you've been doing. So I think one step further than a logbook is actually a logbook and having completed the FEEL or FUSIC accreditation or completed the FUSIC. If you haven't completed the accreditation, you've completed the logbook with 50 logbook cases for the FUSIC accreditation. I mean, that's it's having tangible things to talk about which marks you out as different to the other person who said I've seen some echo or I've got some echo experience. Um, so that's the important thing now to think about how you can really mark yourself out there. And it's really important to work smart. Like when you're using your time on ITU, when you're using your time on different jobs, like even if you've just been, you're doing your PIM record, as we said earlier, there are things that you can do to be building towards your application. Now, I honestly think, the amount of time we put put towards MRCP and Paces is great, but people put far more time and emphasis on that than they do on their interviews. But the interviews in this application process has such larger bearing on your life and what you do than MRCP and Paces, because by definition, everyone will pass MRCP and Paces. Not everyone will get a cardiology job, and not certainly not everyone will get a cardiology job where they want. So, I think time spent on your application is so so important i think people sometimes don't appreciate what a competitive process it is and how much more you can do for it um so i talked like this so these are just two ideas that i have there'll be a number of other ideas um and feel free to put them in the chat or shout out loud um but there are there's pan london heart failure meeting um and heart failure is one of the specialties that does a lot of regional meetings there's a very good regional hub for heart failure meetings. Uh, in most regions now, I'm not just talking in London. Uh, and so there's always opportunity to present audits or something at those. And it's important just to get in touch with your local heart failure leads to see if this exists. Um, it exists that exists less for ischemia um, for interventional uh, for interventional EP, uh, but heart failure I think is an area where that certainly exists. And primary care, primary care physicians love cardiology teaching because everyone's nervous about cardiology who's a non-cardiologist uh, so if that regional primary care meeting for you, <coughs> presenter for free most gps would like to have you along as one of the speakers on the agenda so just about what you can do in terms of setting up this kind of program uh, and if you can do it as part of an audit like you know i was teaching gps to try and improve the i'm just thinking out loud improve the uh, access to access and referrals to rapid access chest pain clinic hey, great, that's an audit, a presentation, and you're doing something very worthwhile for your local cardiologist, uh, which would have been fantastic well interview. So it's important, I'm just thinking about the the projects that you do, the time that you spend in the next three months, where can you really work smart? Research. Now, different to other specialties, research is obviously an incredibly large part of cardiology. And as a specialty, I think, In terms of all medical specialties, we're the most research focused, and we're very data driven for all of our uh, governments. So, inevitably, it's a big, a a fair part of the person specification about what research you've done or what knowledge of research you've got. Um, And previously, most, well, nearly all London trainees uh, would be expected to do a PhD. Not necessarily the case. Outside of London, but I'd say I think the stats are sitting at something like 60-something percent of trainees do a PhD. So more than half of people will do PhDs. So uh research is a big part of cardiology. So A, it's important to be aware of that. B, there are things that you can do now to try and get involved in research. So joining a research group so that you have something to talk about at interview when they say, you know, what experience you've got of research or do you think research is important to cardiology? You can say, yes, I think it is for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I've also joined um, a research group where I'm carrying out research in this. No one necessarily, it's obviously fantastic to have things published and that's lovely, but in lieu of not having that done, being actively involved in prospective cardiology research, which exists everywhere up and down the country, um, is I think an important thing to get yourself linked into prior to February. Things that, are, things that are easy, I think, uh, low-hanging fruit for IMTs, the patient recruitment for um, simple studies. I'm uh, you know, a PhD student. I'm always happy to have uh, help recruiting patients, screening for recruitment. Um, and if you get involved in studies, then places might give you an honorary contract, uh, which is again, just something tangible you can mention. I've got an honorary contract as a research in my research role with this team where we're looking at this, that suddenly this guy's doing something or this person uh, doing something tangible and real compared to the person said, oh, I've spoken to a few people. I've, I've spoken to this, this team and I'm going to get involved in their research. This other person's, well, I've got an honorary contract. And the good clinical practice and research is um, an online thing that takes you know maybe an hour or two. But again, it just shows. And I've been awarded my good clinical practice and research certificate to enable me to do this. You can't give that answer unless you've done those things, and you don't want to. Be, you don't want to be having to spend those four weeks in February. Oh gosh, I need to get all these things done. That's things to do now, uh, in preparation for that. Because when we do the course in February, we really want to be just how to structure and hone what you've already done and polish what you've done, uh, not doing new things. Teaching um, again, I think cardiology trainees are mostly very good at this. Um, they're low-hanging fruit design feedback and leadership it's these are three key facets you need to have on any teaching i do so any teaching i do um needs to have these three things covered um otherwise it's probably not worth my while uh this is pre-registrar application um probably not worth my while to do it because i'll be able to score max points so when i was organizing teaching if i could think that i was uh if I can think that I'd hit all these three points in whatever teaching I did and it would last for more than 12 weeks, great, I'll be involved. Uh if it didn't, then it's probably not worth my time. Uh and I know that sounds quite mercenary. Um, and obviously I did do other, I did do some other teaching that beforehand wasn't I didn't have all these three facets, but as I got nearer, these are the kind of big projects that you're gonna be talking about at your interview. Because if you're gonna be talking about a project you want to been involved in design, you've got formal feedback and you know, you've been involved in a leadership capacity. That's really, uh, and ideally, if you could do it at a bigger than local level, so national or regional level, that's really hitting big points in your interview. So just have a think about what opportunities there are for that. Um, logbook, I've just put a, your logbook. So previously you had to take a paper folder to your application, uh, to your interview. they went through things and you had to put your logbook in there now it's all online and so they take it on trust but obviously i think for appropriate reasons it's genuinely very important to have it so that if you were ever asked you could show them it these are just a few apps there are so many out there now that you can use to um log the echoes you've done and the cath lab procedures that you've observed and you can actually put observer third operator second operator first operator on a lot of these um logbooks so just log it and also make sure it's patient anonymized again it doesn't take a second but don't leave it till next year because if you can do as you go along uh, and go back now through the patient records it makes things much easier it doesn't have to be uh, arduous just sex age procedure and what what your role was first second third operator and don't go into any more detail than that but this is logbook. Does this need to be evidence in terms of getting signed off by like the, the consultant who was doing it or the super or the reg who was doing it? Or can will we be taken at our word that yes, we were there? No, you would take you would, you were taken at your word. It doesn't need okay. to be it doesn't need to be signed off. Um sometimes on procedure reports there are like
2: there are first
0: second operators. Well in fact there are first and second operators, but you as a third operator, we may not see to you can go on that report. So in medicine there is trust, but yeah you know, at least this shows a paper trail of what you have done, um, yeah, I think it's yeah it's, it, it, again, it's just things to do and it just also helps focus your mind on what you have and haven't done. Uh, it does, but I think just as a nine two three like uh,
2: especially if you're not in your cardiology rotation and if you're working in a tertiary center, just showing up and saying, Oh hi, I'm here to watch. It can be a little challenging, but you know.
0: So I'm just thinking that if I'm there and I'm not getting it signed off specifically, uh, I just wanted to know that would count, but you've answered that question, so I appreciate it. No No, no, yeah, I do completely appreciate that. I think, you know, having having the busy consultant or reg then have to work out how to sign off your logbook is not not not, not the one, um, but yeah, I think as long as you're there, then it's um, absolutely relevant and you you will genuinely those sound uh, hand on heart you'll get a lot of experience by just being there and seeing how a cath lab works which again is a common question <laughs> and so it is important things to immerse yourself in from now till then uh, and i it wasn't just something i said in my interview answer though actually when you do your taste a week or when you have your zero day shadowing the cardiac reg if you can hold the bleep you will just be that much better prepared for your interviews like We talk about passive learning and active learning. Active learning is putting yourself in the situations and actually think of what you would do. And there's no better way of doing that than actually holding the bleep. Uh, You couldn't be better supervised, to be honest. Uh, So try and do it if you can. Everyone has zero days and everyone will know a cardiology reg. Clinical station, worth a huge amount uh, for the interview. So it's worth over 50% of your final mark, um, which is staggering. And this is where people, it's a make or break station really. Um, so things that you can do now, is really just have your clinical knowledge. So I, with, um, you might've seen one of these videos, Rahul uh, Ghilani, he actually came fourth this year, scored top marks uh, in uh, in interviews. Uh, so me and him have gone through and meticulously made, I think, 56 videos currently um, but uh, we've gone through just like what you would need to know. So, what you would need to know for an NSTEMI, what you need to know for a STEMI. And we go through the basics of what you need to know and also then like some of the five out of five points. So, have they got a good right radial pulse? Uh, you know, do you need to think about whether they can actually consent for the procedure? Have we shaved their groin preparation for cath lab? And some of these things are things that one would know if they've been around a cardiology been acting as a cardiology reg or been around cath labs a lot but those that haven't won't know it and that differentiates the five between the fours and i will say that at interview the scores that people are getting whereas previously i genuinely thought that threes and fours would get you a job that's no longer the case anymore you have to really be getting four out of fives with a few four, five out of fives to get the job that you want if it's a competitive one um so that will be uploaded onto the website but the other area worth the other invaluable resource that we use and i definitely use my interview was the esc guidelines it's like a pocket app um now there's two there's two versions of this there's the detailed esc guidelines please don't go anywhere near those they're far too detailed for you to waste your type, invaluable time on but the esc pocketbook app if you can look through each thing so let's say pacemaker mobile's type two you can look through maybe it's types two and say, yes, this is a two a indication for pacing. Then that shows a really good level of knowledge. And, um, and again, the videos that we made are kind of based on uh, a lot of them. We do mention the ESE guidelines um, and what one needs to know, but you know, this is also an app that you have the ESE guidelines and they're very succinct. And I think, and some obviously you have to do reading around them for some of them, but if you can look at them and say, yep, yeah, that's something I, that's that's all reasonable yeah aortic stenosis I would know what to do here and follow the and I'd follow the ESE guidelines then you'll be very well prepared for the interview what you don't really want to have to do again is between February and March um you're revising you're trying to cram clinical knowledge for your interviews that's really something you should be doing between now and then and yeah I know it seems like a I know it seems like a lot, but if you can start pairing things like this now, um, it really takes the pressure off nearer time because otherwise you do see a lot of, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, you do see a lot of burnout because uh, there is just so much to prepare for the interviews and they are quite high stakes. Uh, the last slides are actually probably less useful. I've actually just gone through and posted the competition ratios for other.